We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Welcome to a new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand Them for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, maybe something you heard in church this weekend, whatever's on your heart, all you have to do is dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, I remind you, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Everything else is hands-free. Hey, thank you for tuning in. I hope you had a great weekend at church. Uh, we did yesterday. It was uh, We were crowded again. It was just really a, a good day. We got a lot going going on here as well tonight. Our Sweet Summer Devotions continue uh, with Nicole Moreno. We'll be sharing uh, her heart, whatever God's put on her heart. So that is tonight at 7 o'clock, ladies. You can watch it at calvarysa.com. But remember, uh, these are testimonies and and sort of experiences that these women have gone through. And uh, the real blessing. I mean, the the ladies are all a blessing, but the real work the Holy Spirit is doing often happens after the fact in the Q&A. We go off air. It's not online, so we we can assure privacy. Um, Just wonderful, wonderful ministry is done. Uh, When you're here in person, after the teaching or the testimony is given, uh, and it's a, a, a place where women can really open up and share their heart, and there's a lot of comforting um, a lot of work the Holy Spirit is doing that goes on. So if you can get here at all, ladies, you, this doesn't have to be your church. If you can get here at all, uh, come on over and uh, you will be blessed. Of course, we have the men's Bible study at the same time. Pastor Ken is on vacation. 
And so uh, Pastor Peter, Dr. Pastor Peter Paley, will be uh, teaching the men tonight. And then, of course, we have our high school and junior high school groups, which also meet at the same time in separate locations. So uh, uh, Monday night is a really good night. You can make it a family affair. Let's go to questions that have been sent in. I'm going to start with a couple of questions. I, I really don't like these kind of questions because I don't like to say um, negative things. But, but you know, we I, I've responded to the questions. Uh, this is an anonymous question from our email inbox. Uh, Hi, Pastor Ron. What do you think about this person's teachings? Uh, this person is David Degal Hernandez. And uh, he is uh, anonymous, a typical prosperity, healing, faith teacher, and uh, I, I just wouldn't recommend him at all. Um, you know, I, I, I hit the link that you sent me, uh, and it took me about four minutes to, to figure out where he was coming from and what he's doing. Uh, he's a, a, a promulgator of, of healing, uh, being guaranteed in the atonement, um, and and it's just it's just sort of health and wealth uh, type of nonsense, and we get a lot of that around here. I did not know this person uh, was in Texas. Evidently, he's in the Round Rock, Texas area, um, and like most of them, if you listen to him, uh, there's just enough truth scattered in with the false stuff that a lot of people really get deceived. So anonymous, I would stay away from him completely. Um, if you're going to listen, if you're interested, uh, be discerning. Uh, it won't take you long to figure out exactly where he's coming from. Um, that's the second question. Uh, this is also anonymous from our email inbox. It says, Pastor Ron, I just stumbled across a Bible teacher named Les Feldick, and he seems pretty knowledgeable from the little I have seen. Are you familiar with him? I did hear him say that the word for rib when creating Eve actually means side compartment, which he compares to a walnut-sized woman's reproductive organ. I would like your thoughts before investing more time. Your ministry has been a tremendous help in supplementing my personal studies, and I thank you for that. You and Calvary Chapel will remain in my purse. Anonymous, thank you for praying for us. That means more to me than you can possibly imagine. Les Feldick is a hyper-dispensationalist. I don't know how long you've been listening to this program, but uh, every once in a while we'll get these guys, they keep changing their names so they can get through the screeners, uh, and they go on these rants about uh, hyper-dispensationalism. They are, are students of, disciples of, Les Feldick. Uh, and Les Feldick is not only a hyper-dispensationalist and a sensationalist, um, um, he's just not healthy, not, not a good Bible teacher at all. Now, you say he comes across pretty knowledgeable. He doesn't come across knowledgeable at all. He does come across very confident. I mean, he says what he says, and he believes it with all of his heart, and he's certain it's the right thing. But he just makes ridiculous statements. Um, he he said uh, in in one uh, thing that I, I, I heard him say, and I heard this with my own ears, that the NIV, and he was talking about the 84 version of the NIV, which is a great translation. Um, the NIV uh, is is just as bad as as anything the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormons use. Uh, he's just he just makes no sense. So be careful of him because he is so confident. Uh, he has quite an internet following. I, I can't understand why 
All you need is a Bible. And when he goes into the hyper-dispensationalism, especially in the book of Acts, well, Paul is getting a whole new mystery here, a whole new message. He's not getting a whole new message. All you have to do is read it. The nonsense about the uh, side compartment, uh, which he compares to a walnut-sized woman's reproductive organ, that kind of stuff is just crazy. And when you hear that kind of sensational stuff, and this is for everybody in the audience, just turn those people off. So Les Feldick, uh, popular in Texas, that's for sure, especially um, in the outlying areas of Texas. Uh, And I I just, I don't know why anybody would spend even a minute listening to him. So those are the two I didn't want to answer. Uh, You know, if you ask me somebody, and I've had several questions about good guys, and I hardly endorse them, but I can't endorse either one of these two. Let's go to Belmont, Texas, and talk with James. James, good to hear from you again. You are on the air. Yes, uh, and, and it's good to hear from you, too. Um, I kind of have a, a strange question. I'm really hoping that dyslexia won't kick in and kind of jumble <laughs> things up here. It's okay, um, James. It's Monday. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and that means I can always call back tomorrow. <laughs> um, like on Ephesians 3, uh, around, uh, oh gosh, uh, verse 5 maybe, around that area, 5, 6, 7, 8, uh, you know, Paul's saying essentially uh, that uh, the gospel, uh, that he's bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, that we're going to have uh, a part of the blessings uh, like uh, God has for the Jewish people. Um, and of course, and I'm, I'm not saying it right. I, I'm pretty sure. So, uh, but uh, I'm sure you have all that memorized. Um, but they essentially said, or, or Paul essentially says that uh, the Gentiles are going to partake in the blessings uh, with the Jews, and uh, that we are in one body uh, and uh, share the promises of God. And so uh, whenever I'm reading Romans, what is it, chapter 9, 10, 11, uh, when Paul talks uh, about Israel, uh, this is the time of the Gentile, these last 2,000 years or so. And uh, Israel, uh, I, I don't want to say their hearts are hardened. I, I don't really remember the exact word, but they're, they're asleep or they're, or they're in the dark, but they're soon... Uh, with the second coming of Christ uh, they're going to um, uh, be brought back in and they're going to understand that the Messiah is the Messiah and uh, and then it, the, the kingdom comes in for the thousand mm-hmm. years um, so I guess it's kind of two questions um, one I guess is uh, when Christ comes back and the Jews recognize the Messiah for who he is, uh, are they going to participate in the same gospel of grace that we have? And then secondly, uh, because of the way Paul kind of talks about it in Ephesians, um, if the converted Jews and Gentiles over all of these years are all in the one body, the body being the body of Christ, the assembly, then uh, are we all going to be present in that 
thousand-year uh, reign of Christ in the kingdom. Yeah. So, so that's kind of like two questions. Yeah. I know where you're going, and, and, and James, if you don't mind, I'm going to do a little bit more on this because I want to clear up some possible misperceptions uh, about what Ephesians says and how it relates to Romans 9, 10, and 11, and then we'll talk about the very end as well. Thank you. It's always good to hear from you. A couple of things about this. One, um, let me start with Romans. When you get to Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, uh, Paul is addressing um, God's promises to Israel. Uh, for the first eight chapters of the book of Romans, Paul is building the perfect legal case, a perfect legal case that says uh, the whole world is condemned, Jew and Gentile alike. The whole world is condemned, and, um, and 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 obviously Jesus is the answer. We get to Romans chapter eight, and we understand um, uh, the promises that are made uh, to all of us. Uh, that we'll, we'll be able to participate in um, as a result of Jesus coming and dying for our sins. And in chapters 9, 10, 11, he's simply taking Israel, the nation of Israel, not individual Jews. Uh, he makes very clear distinctions between the nations of Israel and individual Jews. He says, in fact, not all Israel is Israel, and that's a play on words. Uh, Israel meaning uh, the, uh, the it means governed by God, and what he's saying is not all Jews are governed by God. So true Israel is Israel of the heart, not of circumcision of the flesh, but circumcision of the heart. So uh, chapters nine, ten, and eleven simply are uh, using Israel as evidence to make the case that he made in the first eight chapters. And then, of course, he turns back to the practical section in uh, beginning in chapter 12. So uh, that, that's important to understand. Now, in Ephesians, it starts in chapter 2, and he, he carries it on through the first part of chapter 4. Paul is, is revealing a mystery that God unveiled for him. You know, the Apostle Paul, one of the, the my personal hero. Um, uh, he he had four mysteries revealed to him, um, mysteries that um, God hinted at in the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus uh, gave clues to uh, Jews and Gentiles becoming one. Uh, Jesus said, "I have sheep that are not of this sheepfold, or uh, or not of this flock." Meaning, uh, Jews get ready because Gentiles are coming into the kingdom of God. And what he's saying in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, was that the mystery that God gave him uh, is a mystery that wasn't made known to men in other generations, uh, has been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. And Paul, of course, was the first one to get this. And what he's saying is that uh, because of the gospel, or literally through the gospel, Gentiles and Jews are heirs together, members of one body, and sharers together in the promises uh, that are, are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's really important uh, because there was still the friction in the first century between Jews and Gentiles. And, of course, that friction has endured uh, throughout the course of time. So uh, that's what the mystery is. Jews and Gentiles, it was always God's plan. They were going to become one. You know, when the apostles got saved and and, and filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, they became Christians. They were all Jews. The early church was entirely Jewish. Um, but they became Christians. They didn't become Messianic Jews 
they became Christians. And Paul says this was always God's plan, Jew and Gentile together, one body. That was a radical statement at the time it was made, James. So I think that's important in understanding the background. Now, when you talk about the uh, millennial reign of Christ on earth, uh, when Jesus comes back in Revelation chapter 19, and we know this from Zechariah. Uh, his prophecy is very specific. When Jesus comes back and every eye will see him, he, he won't be hidden from anybody. It'll be a supernatural event. Every eye will see him. And um, when they come, there will be a remnant of Jews. And that's what we've got to understand, that we're, you and I, we're now preaching to, to remnants. In these last days, we're, we're out trying to win the remnant. Um, and and the Jews, one third of the Jews who see Jesus return, uh, will will say, um, um, "Where did you get these wounds?" He say he'll answer, "I got these wounds in the house of my friends," and they will be stricken with grief and 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 repent, and they will become born again believers right there. Now this is at the end of the great tribulation. It's been a terrible seven years for everybody on earth and the Jews have been pursued by the man that we call the Antichrist and he's trying to kill them all. But one third of the people, one third of the Jews are going to recognize that this is the one that we were waiting for and they will become believers right at the end of the thousand year reign, or not, I'm sorry, right at the end of the great uh, tribulation, the seven year great tribulation. So having said that, that means necessarily that two thirds of the Jews, individual Jews, are not going to believe and they're going to be lost. So here's what's going to happen. Those Jews who believe will enter into the millennial kingdom of Christ in their physical bodies. Uh, if, If they survive the great tribulation, and God is going to protect them. If they survive the Great Tribulation, they will go into the, the uh, uh, thousand-year reign of Christ um, seeing with their own eyes the fulfillment of all the promises to Abraham and to David. That's very important. But they'll be in their physical bodies in that uh, same time period. Um, James, we will be in our glorified, resurrected physical bodies and um, most of the people that enter into the Great Tribulation will live through, most of the Bible says that an infant will die at the age of 100. So God is going to reverse sort of the curse on the earth, and those long lives are going to, to restore. Then when um, the, the Great White Throne Judgment comes after that, then everybody who's left to go into uh, to heaven or be, be residents of the new heaven and the new earth, then they will... Uh, receive their glorified, resurrected bodies then at that point. But we will be ruling and reigning. They will be there as well, and uh, they will sing the praises of God. Good question, James. I love talking about uh, end times things, and the reason I love it so much is because with all of my heart, I believe Jesus is coming back really, really soon. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Chip. From our email inbox, uh, he says, Pastor Ron, regarding Acts chapter 13, verse 2's mention of fasting, what did that look like practically? Was it an all-day thing, or could it have been more like they were abstaining from eating until they were done praying, or was this more like a multi-day event? Excuse me, that was a sneeze break. It snuck up on me. 
Um, he said, thank you. Uh, and and Acts 13, too, simply says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, and this was that moment, uh, this comes from my message yesterday, this was that moment where the prophets were able to hear from the Lord, and God said, set apart for me Paul, or actually said Saul at the time, Barnabas and Saul, uh, for the work that I have called them to. And, of course, that will be uh, Saul's, uh, 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 we know him as the Apostle Paul, his first missionary journey. And from this point forward, he's going to be called Paul. So what would the fasting look like? I imagine that as they were praying um, and and seeking the Lord, they abstained from uh, eating or drinking. Um, uh, It was a very Jewish way to understand uh, what fasting and praying was. Uh, We don't have detail, Chip, whether it was a multi-day event. It just sums it up that way while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. It doesn't say if it was uh, two hours in or 72 hours in, it just says they were waiting on the Lord. They wanted direction. What's next? And it was at that point that the center of Christianity changed from Jerusalem to Syrian Antioch. And uh, and, and we know that this marvelous missionary team of uh, Barnabas and the Apostle Paul was established right there. And by the way, Chip, and for anybody else who's interested, uh, this coming Sunday, uh, I'm going to be dealing with uh, the, the the first missionary journey in the sense that uh, this is what Paul did, and these are the opportunities that were open to him. Uh, and, and for me personally, this is a very fascinating period of time. So Chip, the, the fasting, it just, they were, they were abstaining from food and water. Um, the idea is we are serious about uh, denying our flesh so that we can hear from God. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Jerry wants to know, what should I do if my pastor doesn't counsel because he says he is not gifted to do so? Um, Jerry, believe me, you don't want to, to, to be counseled by somebody who doesn't have the gift of counseling. Um, I think sometimes counseling is hard. Um, counseling, especially marriage counseling, is, is I think, the single most painful thing that we pastors um, have to do. Now, obviously, we want to help people get right with God and stay right with God. But it's hard because people come in for counseling. They don't want to stop sinning. They just want God to fix things. Or often they expect, especially in marriage, they expect the pastor to sort of be a negotiator. Uh, you know, okay, you want this and she wants this. So let's let's sort of give a little bit and gain a little bit. That's not what we do. Uh, a pastor's job in counseling is to represent Jesus Christ, and we do that through his word. So I've known some pastors who said they're just not gifted to counsel. Typically, that means they're not patient, um, uh, or they simply don't like it. Uh, and I, I just think part of a pastor's job, Jerry, is to uh, counsel the, the the flock that God has given him. And the way we counsel, we don't have to be therapeutic, licensed counselors. Uh, the way we counsel is simply with our Bibles open. If you do what God says, things will get better. If you don't do what God says, things are going to get worse. And Jerry, usually I say they're going to get worse very quickly. So um, I would, I would uh, ask him if there is a pastor in the church who is gifted to counsel. Uh, the one thing I would not allow him to do is, is refer me to uh, a psychologist or a, um, a licensed therapeutic counselor. Um, 
I'm, I'm not dissing counselors, uh, but the reality is there's only one counsel, and that's the Word of God. Well, we have a lady at our church. God bless her. I'm, um, I just just talked to her, and we're going to start using her, and she is a licensed counselor, but this is a, a, a woman who loves Jesus with all of her heart, and I know the counsel that they're going to get is going to be biblical counsel. And I think sometimes um, um, somebody new, uh, a different voice, uh, and in, in particular with young people uh, and or women, I think sometimes a different voice is really, really helpful. So um, you, God bless your pastor. He was at least honest with you. Uh, but ask him for a suggestion. Is there anybody else in the church that uh, he would recommend to do counseling. Jerry, I can tell you that Pastor Ken and I both do a ton of counseling, but we also have many other people in the church, uh, men and women, who have the gift of counseling through the Word, and uh, we use them quite liberally. And there's just not enough time in the day for me to do all the counseling that that, that uh, requests my time. Um, and the same thing is true with Pastor Kim, but we have a wonderful group of people that God has raised up, uh, and they have demonstrated over a period of years uh, the gift of counseling. So um, I, I, it's it's hard. It's not something that's fun to do, but uh, I think it's something that's necessary in the body of Christ. One of the hard things, and we've only got a minute left or so in this uh, half of the program, so uh, one of the things that uh, I tell people a lot. I can always tell when somebody has been in therapy, and uh, I got to tell them from the beginning: we got to got to unlearn, forget everything that you've ever been told in counseling, because that's not what God does. God simply says, "Here's His will. Here's His word. Obey, and things will improve. Disobey, and things will get worse." And uh, a lot of times, people think, "Well, that's too harsh." Uh, it's the only way that works, Jerry. It's the only way that works. We have 30 minutes left in our show today. It's the Monday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. 340-9585. That's area code 210. Or toll free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show, 340-9585 for live calls and questions. Here's a question from January. January, it's good to hear from you again. It's been a while. January says, I have a friend at church who says that repentance is a work and is not necessary to be saved. Only believing in Jesus is. January, your friend has no idea what he or she is talking about. Uh, Repentance is the first word of the gospel. One of the great things about coming to Jesus is that we can come to him as we are. We don't have to fix anything. We don't have to change anything. We can come. We can confess our sins. We can ask to be forgiven. We can believe in Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit will be poured out into our hearts. But he doesn't let us stay the way we are. 
That's the whole point of him giving us the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in the will of God to know the difference between right and wrong. Now, typically, January, and since I don't know your friend at church, uh, typically people that say this, what they want is they want to be able to sin and still convince themselves that they're okay, they're going to go to heaven. And you, that's just not possible. Uh, go to First Corinthians chapter 6 or Galatians chapter 5. There's a whole bunch of sins listed. And the Bible says people who live like this, it doesn't say just unsaved people, people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so the idea is if you are really a believer, then repentance, turning from sin and turning to Jesus is absolutely essential. So repentance, John the Baptist, Jesus, the Apostle Paul, Peter, James, especially James, all of them are are big repentance guys. And I've said this before on the show, but um, if you know somebody who claims they've met Jesus but is living the same kind of life they were living before they met Jesus, they didn't really meet him at all. They know about him. They know who he is. But they're not born again, and they're not uh, known by him, which is really the issue in heaven. So January, uh, just tell her that you're concerned for her. Um, Be careful. Read your Bible. uh, Because anybody who lives the way you're living or the way you say you want to live, um, you know about Jesus. but, But even the demons believe, Jesus said, and they shudder. Um. Repentance is absolutely necessary. It's not a work. It is a necessary result of meeting the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Thank you, January. Good to hear from you again. Let's go to Jimmy on line one. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, sir. I've been, uh, I feel that the Lord's been tugging in my heart about this issue. And uh, I feel kind of like nervous and kind of anxiety about it, but I know he's going to be with me, and it's not going to be easy. And I ran over this scripture called uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 32 to 33. Which book? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, okay. Chapter 5, verses 32 to 33. And be careful when the... When the Lord calls you to do something, don't look to the right or to the left. Mm-hmm. Did we lose you, Jimmy? Well, I have this passion to to save children from human trafficking. Jimmy, you're cutting out a little bit. Say that again. Something about children. I have, I have this passion to save children. From human trafficking. Oh. Um, yeah. And I know the Lord's going to lead me to the right place and to do the right thing according to His gospel. Yeah. <clears throat> I just wanted to stop. Yeah. I, I I can't believe that people do this to make money off of little children and it's it's just in in humane and and I just think about those children. Yeah. 
Jimmy, I love your heart. I appreciate it very, very much. Let me give you a little bit of direction, and then the rest is just between you and the Lord. Trafficking has been um, a fact of life for the entire history of the world. It is uh, the, the, the fallen world that we live in, uh, and the, the brutality and the endless evil and wickedness uh, has been apparent uh, literally from the beginning of time. Um, from Genesis chapter 11, uh, God confused the languages and people went their own way. Uh, from that moment, um, the people that could be taken advantage of always have been. Uh, this is a problem, as I said, that has been going on forever. It's certainly not going to be an easy problem to resolve. And I think if the Lord has put that burden in your heart, then he will accompany that with some direction. And I don't mean uh, direction that kind of says, well, I got to go save women, save kids. Um, he'll give you some direction. And and uh, you have to be very patient and, and let the Lord uh, speak to your heart. Um, uh, continue to let your heart be broken by this. This is one of the most evil things uh, in the world. Uh, and um, people have always made a lot of money. People have gotten rich uh, on the backs of others. So uh, all I can I like to tell you do, Jimmy, is be patient and pray. Um, he's given you this burden for a reason, um, for you to find out what that reason is. Um, it's going to just take some time. So start out by praying for those kids all the time, just constantly. Uh, a real burden, it'll never leave your heart. Um, once you are praying for them, um, then just, Lord, you want to use me, Lord? I'm here. I'm available. Like Isaiah said, uh, I'm available. Lord, use me. Um, and then just understand that this is going to be... Um, um, a nearly impossible circumstance. It doesn't mean that you can't save some kids, and you should, but um, this isn't a problem that's going to go away um, until Jesus comes back. So keep allowing your heart to be broken and be constantly seeking the Lord, and he will direct your steps. And probably, Jimmy, the result will be um, sort of a one-on-one -on -one or individual um, direction. Uh, God will put you in positions where you'll run into to to these kids, and um, and He'll give you the help that you need. He'll empower you with His Spirit. So, just embrace it. It will break your heart. It will cause you more pain than you know. It will likely lead you into dangerous situations. Uh, but that's okay. That's okay. And the Lord will be faithful to give you. The next step. Just wait and don't be impatient. You need to be equipped with everything that God has for you before you step out in a word like this. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless you and I appreciate again your heart for that. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Robert says, does fasting really make a difference in getting our prayers answered? Um, Robert, no. Uh, fasting doesn't really make a difference. You know, God doesn't really care if you're hungry. That doesn't make it. You know, what we want to do, and this is the reason people like fasting, well, all I have to do is go without food for a day or go without food for a week, and, and God will have to answer my prayers. No, God won't answer your prayers unless your heart is right with God. It's that simple. And he won't give you clear direction. 
And the other thing is, Robert, when you're, you're, you want your prayers answered, if you want them answered, you've got to be able to say, Thy will, not my will be done. Now, fasting does have a role. Uh, in, in Jimmy's case, the question that he just asked me, uh, I think Jimmy would do well to um, make a commitment to fast one day a week or, or even two days a week um, as he's really seeking the, the Lord's answer for these next steps of faith. Okay, Lord, what do I do with this burden that you've given me? But the idea that we think we can manipulate God in answering our prayers um, just by going hungry or doing without something, while at the same time our hearts are far from God because we're doing a bunch of things that we know he doesn't want us to do, um, that's just a formula, sort of a spiritual lucky rabbit's foot, Robert. So um, Isaiah 58, I always recommend uh, if you want to know what fasting is about, if you want to know the heart behind uh, an effective fast, Isaiah 58 is the definitive chapter in our Bibles uh, regarding fasting. So fasting has a role, but fasting doesn't compel God to do anything. Um, if you if you really need an answer for something and you're willing to say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Uh, fasting will sometimes put you in a position where the spirit will be able to honor that fast. And the fast is simply denying the flesh. The spirit will be able to honor that fast and give you some direction. But remember, his answer, his answer is the one that we want, Robert. You know, one of the things I say to the Lord a lot when I'm praying for certain things, um, I'll just say, Lord, um, my choice is, and and I'll tell him what I want, and I'll make that prayer. Uh, I'll say, Lord, you, you said with grateful hearts, with thanksgiving, we can make our request known to God. But I always say, Lord, as much as I want this, I don't want it unless you want it for me. That's my way of saying thy will, not my will be done. So, Robert, that's the most important thing in getting your prayers answered. And uh, I, I told somebody the other day on the show, that I think uh, when we get to heaven, the, the prayers that we are going to be the most grateful to God for are the ones that he didn't answer the way we wanted them to be answered. Because in heaven, we're going to see exactly um, why not getting the answer to our prayer was such a blessing in hindsight. Thank you, Robert. Mitch says, Pastor, when will Philippians 2.10 be fulfilled? Uh, Philippians 2.10 says, Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the glory of God the Father. Mitch, that will be fulfilled um, um, when we go to stand before the Lord as believers. Uh, but for the unbelieving world, uh, that uh, prayer will be fulfilled, will, or that, that verse will be fulfilled um, when when the unbelieving world stands before the Lord to give account of their lives, and and uh, the 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 most diehard opponents, the enemies of God, I don't believe there's no God. They will be on a knee, and they will bow before God, confessing that Jesus Christ is the Lord. For them, Mitch, it will be the most terrifying time ever beyond anything that we can even imagine. Um, for those of us who belong to him, when we make that proclamation, it will be a victory shout. Jesus is Lord. 
And that's all we need to know. So that's when it will be fulfilled. On the day of judgment, Christians will will be in their day of judgment uh, when we go to be with Jesus, either when we die in these bodies or when the rapture of the church happens. And, uh, you know, Mitch, we look around this world, that rapture is getting closer and closer and closer every day. Ronald says... Would you talk about working out our salvation with fear and trembling? I don't understand. Um, Yeah, Ronald, it doesn't mean that we should uh, be trembling in fear of God. Uh, We love Jesus. We know he loves us. And being with Jesus is the most important thing that any of us can do. Uh, But when we work out, it doesn't say work for our salvation. Thank God. It says work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We have to walk in a healthy fear of God. I mentioned this in our Bible study yesterday here at Calvary Chapel. Um, uh, One of the things that's been lost in this world is the fear of God. The unbelieving world has no fear of God. Too many professing Christians have no fear of God. They still sleep with people they're not married to. Um, They're still doing drugs or drinking alcohol or using filthy language or holding on to bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. Um, and, and it's because they have no fear of God. The man or the woman who comes to me and says, I know you said that we should forgive, but I refuse to forgive. That person has no fear of God. So that's how we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And, and practically, Ronald, the way we do that is to every day offer our bodies as living sacrifices. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And then allow our minds to be renewed, new thinking, and that can only happen in the Word of God. So that's Romans 12, 1 and 2. And, and that's what working out our salvation with fear and trembling is all about. It's about reporting every day for, for duty. Lord, what about me and what about today? Now, most of us, God knows what we're going to do. We know what we're going to do tomorrow. I, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to have pretty much the same routine. But what I want to be able to do is say, Lord, you can interrupt this routine any time that you want to. So God, by the power of your Spirit, what about me? And what about today? And we want to be ready for whatever God is going to bring uh, and put on our spiritual plates for each and every day. That's working out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's not worrying about uh, the future. It's not uh, being obsessed with the past. It's getting every. Uh, it's getting up every day in the newness of life and saying, "Jesus, this is a whole new day. What about me and what about now?" And that's what working out our salvation with fear and trembling really is. Again, it's not being fearful of God in the sense that I'm scared He's going to squash me, but it really is, Ronald, being fearful of not being in God's will. This is the one thing, Ronald, that compels me and motivates my walk with the Lord more than anything else. I don't. I wasted so much time. I didn't get saved until I was almost 40. And I don't want to miss anything that he has for me. And um, I, I, I really fear not being in God's will. So that's what working on our salvation with fear and trembling is. Thank you, Ronald, for the question. Uh, here's an anonymous question. Is it biblical to have a lead or senior pastor? Uh, you know, I can tell you, anonymous, Calvary Chapel of San Antonio has a senior pastor, and that's just the way it is. 
You know, I'm getting old. So, so it is. I know what you mean, though. Um, a lead pastor or the senior pastor, um, uh, I think it is naive of us to think that there is not uh, a pastor in a church uh, that, that has more authority uh, than the other pastors. I have 10 pastors on my staff. And um, I don't, you know, they don't call me senior pastor. Um, um, and I certainly don't refer to them as assistants. Um, but everybody knows that I bear the brunt of the authority here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. God has given me the direction for the church. And um, and from this, that 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 simply is, is we're going to do what God has told us to do. So I think it's biblical to have a pastor who leads um, I don't like the emphasis on the titles, uh, but um, it, it's certainly not unbiblical at all to have a senior or a lead pastor. You know, we're going to be talking about uh, Barnabas and Paul, and at the beginning of the first missionary journey, Barnabas seems to take the lead, and then Paul takes the lead. So there's always a leader. Hard decisions have to be made. And somebody needs to be responsible for that. I've had a lot of questions on this program. Anonymous about why I don't let uh, my other pastors teach more. Why don't we just sort of divvy it up? Well, my job as given by the Lord is to be the primary teaching pastor here at Calvary Chapel, and I'm going to be faithful to do that. So um, you could say I'm the I'm the lead pastor here, a senior pastor, uh, but I would hope and pray, and I, I think this is accurate what I'm saying. But all of the pastors on our staff understand that they are just as indispensable to the work here as I am. And the reality is none of us are indispensable at all. So, yeah, I think it is biblical. And um, um, certainly there's nothing contrary to what the Bible teaches about the role of a senior pastor. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We've still got some time for some calls. Here is an anonymous uh, question. As a parent, how can I walk the line between giving our daughter privacy and monitoring her online activity? Anonymous, uh, here's what I'm going to tell you. Don't worry about your daughter's privacy. She lives in your house. She is under your authority. There is no such thing as privacy. No such thing as privacy. That's more important than I can communicate. Um, Privacy is earned. Trust is earned. And it's your responsibility as a parent to monitor her online activity just as surely as you would monitor her her social activity. So, yes, um, monitor with with all due diligence, uh, but, but be very clear with your daughter. There is no such thing as privacy in this house. And if you forget that, then that's just an indication to me that there are some things that you're hiding from me. So I think we got to be more concerned about our stewardship over our kids than we are about whether or not the kids like us. So, uh, Anonymous, I hope that helps. That's the best I can do, I think. Here is a question from another Anonymous one. Um, Pastor Ron, how does your church deal with youth who are confused with the sexual revolution that's going on? You know, Anonymous, we teach the Bible. We teach the Word, period. And 
uh, we're very direct with them. We we tell them this is the truth. We we say if a, if a child came to us and said, well, I identify as a male and this is an obvious female, or an obvious male says I identify as a female, um, we we would say uh, you're wrong. God created you the way you are in the body you are, and that's wrong. And and we simply don't give them any any hope that that they can be right. Um, we also teach them to deal with, and this is by the teaching of the word, we teach them to deal with their friends or peers or acquaintances uh, who are, uh, are pressuring these kids um, to to engage in, in uh, same-sex relationships or transgender um, um, transformations. Um, and this goes back to the last question about monitoring online activity. Your children, especially your young girls, are being bullied online by the transgender community who are, are brainwashing them, really pressuring them to go ahead and make the physical changes to get started on hormone uh, um, treatments um, and chemical castration, those kinds of things. And uh, Anonymous, this is a time when we have got to prepare our young people um, for things that we never imagined possible. So watch what they are looking at online. Uh, monitor their online activity and be very direct. God doesn't make mistakes. I don't know a 13-year-old girl ever who's comfortable in her body. And those are the girls especially who are being bullied into making life decisions that can't be changed again. And we need to be there to protect them and to support them. So we deal with them. Uh, it's sin. What you're talking about is sin. And, um, you know, some listen and some don't. But but we're not going to mix our message at all. And let me, let me also say we're inside of two minutes now for this half of the program. So this will be the last question that we deal with today. But we need to be prepared to engage in these conversations because your children are being bombarded with these things. It's not something that we can stay out of, and there's no gentle way to move people. This is right. This is wrong. It's always been that way. Isaiah chapter 5 says that we live in a time where evil is called good and good is called evil. Uh, we've got to be the standard bearers for good. And we've got to be unafraid to call out that which is evil, to call it uh, for what it is. And, uh, and your children need to understand. Now, let me also say this in closing. Um, moms and dads who aren't living righteous lives, um, those kids aren't going to hear you. It's that simple. If you're going to stand with and for Jesus, you've got to do it on his terms. So we've got to decide once and for all who we are. And if a child comes to, to us, and we do this counseling all the time, a, a child comes and says, well, I think I'm a, a, a girl in a boy's body or vice versa. Uh, we just say, no, you're not. That's not going to be permitted in our house. That's what uh, the parent has to do. And um, if that's not okay with you, uh, then you start to count down now from the time till you turn 18 and you're no longer in this house, then you can do what you want. But as long as you're in this house, you're going to live a life with the body that God gave you. And you're going to come to church. And when you grow up, making your own decisions, and then you can do whatever you want. But we've got to stand with you for the Lord. Hey, thanks for the 
calls and the questions today. Uh, remember tonight, uh, Sweet Summer Devotions continues for the ladies. Nicole Moreno is our speaker. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 to work. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.